1: Welcome to pit Pass moto the show that brings you interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders and racers who make the sport move i'm your host dale spangler and in this episode i'm joined by fred Brambling, founder of rides for fun turnkey weekend getaways for motorcyclists this episode is brought to you by moto america home of ama superbike racing and north america's premier motorcycle road racing series rewatch every round of the 2023 series and revisit all the season's action with the Moto America Live Plus video-on-demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and behind-the-scenes video content. Look for the 2024 race schedule to be announced soon over on the MotoAmerica.com website and be sure to follow Moto America on social media for real-time series updates and original content. Well, Kevin, here we are. Fourth round of the Supercross series last weekend probably wasn't as exciting for most people as the NFL playoffs, but this was the first Triple Crown event for Supercross at Anaheim 2. So if you're not familiar with that, Triple Crown is it's kind of a different format where instead of one main event in each class, they do three different main events that are shortened and then they combine all those into what they call, I think it's called an Olympic scoring system. So if you get first place, you get one point. Second place, you get two points. And then whoever has the lowest amount of points at the end of the three races added up is the winner for that race. Could it get any more confusing? Does that make sense? I'm already
2: lost. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my wife, don't worry. Yeah, you're, you're not alone. Because my wife, I was trying to explain it to her. And she's like, I don't understand it. Like, how are these people winning? And I'm like, well, it's just whatever you finish is the points you get. And then you add that up over three races. So if you get like three firsts, you have three points total. If you get three fifths, you have 15 points total. So they just put sort you in order from who has the lowest number of points to the highest number of points.
2: But why don't they just do it the opposite way and the first place person gets the most points and then it just works like every other scoring system except golf. Explain it to me, Dale. <laughs> You're the motocross guy. Explain, explain it to me.
1: I mean, it's kind of a moto thing, really, because like usually – At a motocross race, a classic motocross race that has two motos, you combine your moto scores to determine who is the winner of that day's race. So, like, if you went second and first, that's three points, and the person that goes first and second, that's three points. How the tie is broken is whoever finished the best in the second moto to make it even more complicated, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, what is this sport?
2: <laughs> I'm going to put that up there with uh, tennis as the most bullshit way to keep track of a, a score, you know? Yeah. One shot, 15. 15, love. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to follow you, Dale. So if you tell me that's the way it is, then that's the way it is, but... I wanted to ask you this because you you mentioned a little bit about the NFL, and I was thinking about the way you watch these races. Do you have like a favorite racer that you're rooting for this whole time, or you just kind of want to see a good race?
1: No, I'm just a fan of the sport. Once in a while, I have my favorites, but even that changes to where I I just like riders to me that are down to earth, and I like riders that kind of just leave it on the track. Like They just put their heart and soul into it, and they always try hard. They never give up. But like Aaron Plessinger right now is just he's such a fan favorite. Everybody calls him the people's champ. He won his first race, not this weekend, but the weekend before. Everybody loves the guy. He's just down to earth. He's approachable. He's just a real person. You know, like you feel like he's what you see is what you get. Yeah, it was a good race, though. This past weekend, the Triple Crown, it's always fun because they're really short races. So it's just sprint races every single time. And so. Aaron Plessinger, who I was just talking about, still has the points lead after four rounds. I feel like the series is just wide open. Chase Sexton's in second. Cooper Webb is third. Jet Lawrence, fourth. Eli Tomek. Jason Anderson. All three of those guys are within 13 points of one another. Doesn't happen too often in in motocross. It seems things tend to get separated pretty quickly, but it's pretty cool. So going into the fifth round next week. Which is kind of strange, but instead of going to like Arizona, which is not this weekend, but the following, they go all the way to Detroit, Michigan, race in the Detroit Dome there, and then they have to drive all the way back to Arizona for the next week after that. Definitely a kind of messed up
2: schedule, but I think they're at the mercy of the when they can get the stadiums. The schedule sounds as convoluted as the scoring system. Um, I'm sure like the... <laughs> uh, I, already, I already lost what I was going to say. Um, do you have any predictions? I know you said it's kind of wide open, but do you have any kind of like, you know, this might happen or, you know, this racer is looking good because X, Y, Z and yada, yada, yada.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the probably the one that stands out to me the most is Cooper Webb, who is the type of rider where he even admits it himself. Like he's, if he's in the top five, when he leaves the California rounds at the beginning of the year, he's happy. And him being in third place right now, and only like, eight points maybe out of the lead. I think he's pretty happy. He's pretty confident right now. He was the winner of last weekend's triple crown race. And so I just think he has a lot of momentum going. He's known as being one of the strongest mentally. He's probably the one that stands out to me the most um, as having the most momentum. But, you know, then you got the phenom, Jet Lawrence, who's still in fourth place and struggled a little bit this past weekend with some crashes. But I have a feeling that's going to go away over time. So it's still wide open. But, uh, like I said, action-packed, probably not as much as that Chiefs game, though. I'm sure you watched that. I'm not a football guy, but thought I'd just bring
2: it up because everybody's talking about it. Before we talk about this, um, for anyone that's listening out there, I want to offer my services, okay? So, if you're watching a sporting event and you want a team to lose, you hire me to root for them. They will 100% lose every single time, so... (laughs) Any anyone out there? Are you Sure, you're not from Cleveland. I feel like that's a Cleveland thing. <laughs> that's that's my point. So being an Ohio boy, right? You know, AFC North is all about the Browns. I never root for the Ravens. Uh, but being the fact that the Chiefs are just in the Super Bowl year after year after year after year, I was like, all right, I'd rather see the Ravens win. And not only did the Ravens lose, but like the way that they played was the equivalent of like a race starting and then a racer forgetting to put gas in their bike. Like it was just. <laughs> What are you doing? Bad play after bad play after bad play. And it was like, this can only happen when I start rooting for a team. So anyone that's out there, 100 bucks a pop, I will root for your racer, your team, whatever. They will not only lose, they will embarrass themselves because that's what happens when I get behind the team. (laughs) That's right.
1: Well, I'm curious to know if you've kept
2: up on all the, you know, the Taylor Swift fashion choices at the game. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I I model all my fashion choices off Taylor Swift. Um, so I, I will be wearing my Travis Kelsey jersey as long as Taylor Swift wears it to the Super Bowl.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of the Super Bowl, I saw Kawasaki for the first time ever. They recently released a, mo- a new model called the Ridge UTV. And they're making a Super Bowl commercial. It's so, so it's going to be their first ever Super Bowl commercial. It's absolutely hilarious to me. Business in the front, party in the back. That's what the that's what the theme of it is. So like these guys jump in this UTV, and all of a sudden their mullets pop up on the back of their head. <laughs> oh, really? They're riding through the woods, yeah. crossing streams. The dog has a mullet. The what you know the bear has a mullet. So it's just it's pretty tongue in cheek, hilarious, but definitely a congratulations to Kawasaki. I'm sure that wasn't cheap
2: to have a Super Bowl ad, but. They're going for it. Dale, you were, you were a child of the 80s and early 90s. Were you rocking a mullet in addition to, I mean, last week we learned that you got frosted tips in the 90s. So did you have like frosted tips in the front and then an extra party in the back with the mullet? Did your mullet have frosted tips? I have so many questions right
1: now. Actually, the frosted tips were after the mullet. Like when I was in high school, graduated in 87, I definitely tried to have a mullet. I tried to have a tail. Do you remember those? That might be before your time. Like tails were cool before mullets were even cool. Like a little rat's tail, like some hair. I mean, I could never, my hair just is so thin. Like I got my mom's thin hair, I guess. It just grows super slow. So like, it took me like two years just to have a little bit of a mullet, you know?
2: (laughs) But I loved it. I wanted to rock it. I just couldn't. And by the time, by the time you grew that mullet out, mullets were out, frosted tips were in, man. I know. It's hard to keeping up with fashion trends. Yeah.
1: Always kind of late to the game. I guess.
2: <laughs> well, this rich UTV look vehicle. I was, I was, uh, looking it up as you're waxing philosophically about mullets. Uh, it looks pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Those things are insane. Like how they've progressed because they've gotten to the point where the suspension is so long travel. They can race these things in Baja. In fact, Polaris and some of the other manufacturers just raced in the Dakar rally over in Saudi Arabia. So pretty wild how far these, you know, how far these things have come. So, but they're expensive, you know, like, I mean, you could spend 30 grand on one of these things and then put an extra 10 grand in tires and wheels and suspension before you even drive it off the showroom. So it's a huge commitment. And then you have to have a vehicle to get it to the trail.
2: Jeez. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. It's like, oh yeah, this is a basically a car now, but it's not a car. You can't drive this on the street, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, anyways, uh, excited about today's guest. known for a long time. Fred Bramblett He's a former pro mechanic for uh GNCC champion, Scott Summers. He's an off-road legend. And then, uh, Fred ended up transitioning into, he became an agent. Uh, his company was OMS limited and he represented a bunch of different racers back in the day. So yeah, he's got this really cool motorcycle touring company that he started. And so, uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, having him on. I actually worked, strangely enough, I worked for a short period as a salesman. This is so hilarious because I am the last person to, to be a salesman, but I worked briefly for Fred as a salesman, trying to sell some sponsorship programs. Didn't work out. I didn't last too long. I realized quickly that if I had to survive based on my sales skills, i going to end up starving. So,
2: <laughs> Well, looking forward to <laughs> listening to Fred and his story and hearing uh, stories about how bad of a salesman you were. Let's get into it.
1: I'd like to welcome Fred Bramblett to Pit Pass Moto. How are you today, Fred, and what are you up to?
3: Uh, doing good, and like most of middle America, happy that it's not eight degrees below zero now. So it's more our normal Ohio Valley weather. So got to ride my motorcycle the other day for the first time since Christmas Eve, so I was a happy camper.
1: Yeah, it's been kind of wild, hasn't it? Like back east, it seems like the weather's just cold one day, then like, you know, who knows, like hot the next day. It's just kind of all over the place.
3: Exactly. It's just the Ohio Valley. If you don't like the weather, just wait a day and it'll change.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm excited to have you on to talk about your recent venture that you started called Rides for Fun. You describe it as a turnkey weekend getaways for motorcyclists. How did this come about? Like, who are these events designed for?
3: The events are designed for anybody on any brand of motorcycle for that they enjoy street riding or adventure riding. You know, as you know, Dale, uh, your listeners don't, but I was in the industry for 20 plus years as an agency and represented a lot of different companies and promoters. And one of the things that I was always surprised was the very little number of quality street events. They were either local volunteer nonprofit clubs having, you know, grassroots rallies to generate money for their club. Or to be honest, you jump from that all the way up to the large commercial rallies and be quite honest. They've all grown so much. If anybody's ever attended something like Sturgis or Bike Week, if you're a you know, company or a rider, it's just easy to get lost in the shuffle. You know, we wanted to have something that was a more curated experience for, you know, riders to go someplace for a three day weekend uh, that maybe they wouldn't normally uh, visit and find out about the excellent riding in that area. So we, you know, being from Kentucky, I've told people for years, Eastern Kentucky and the Appalachian mountains in general, they have some of the best motorcycle riding of anywhere in the world. I've been very fortunate and blessed with my career to have an opportunity to ride in multiple continents in different countries. And there's really something special about Appalachia.
1: Yeah, I can believe that. Cause I mean, there's just so many good roads, so many directions you could go to where I live here in Idaho you know, it would seem like there's a lot more and it, there really is for off-roading, but like street riding kind of leaves, you know, a little bit wanting in some ways because there's just not as many roads. I'd never really thought about it till you brought it up there just a second ago, but there are a lot of adventure rides, but there aren't that many street type rides like that, that are kind of everything is done for you. And I think I, it seems like these are catered more to people that dislike the whole planning process. Cause I feel like adventure people almost love that process of planning and mapping everything out. Whereas these street rides, you can just, you know, it's turnkey. You can show up. The course is you know, laid out for you. You've got these great places to stay when you get there. So it seems like a great idea.
3: Yeah, there's roughly, you know, dependent upon the pr- source that you use, 11.3 million restroom motorcycles in the United States are owned. And about, you know, 9.9 or 85, 86% of those are street licensed. But like you say, there's a tremendous amount of OHV stuff. There's a lot of adventurous crossover, but there's not a lot of things out there for the street rider. Obviously, you can get on your street bike and roll out your garage and go riding. But there, you know, I think there's room in the marketplace for, like I say, a curated experience for the you know riders to come and enjoy a, a really neat destination. And our events, we have some things that are out of the ordinary. The first event in April, the BMW getaway at Breaks Interstate Park. One, the location's gorgeous. It's the, considered the Grand Canyon of the east. It's the deepest gorge east of the Mississippi. It's right on the Kentucky-Virginia line. But they also, you know, it kicks off on Friday afternoon with some of the guests. If they get there and they want to rest here, uh, the park will take them out and for a uh, elk viewing and photo tour, of the largest elk herd east of the Mississippi, or second largest, I'm sorry. Super cool.
1: So you kind of describe these as like street slash big bike friendly adventure routes. So you have these adventure rides, I assume, but like mostly they're
3: on pavement, I assume? The street ride's 100% on pavement. The adventure route, they're big bike friendly. But what that means is, you know, you're going to be on small primitive county roads in a local community, but you're also going to be, some of them are going to be gravel. Some of them are going to be graded dirt roads, but they are, in fact, all public passages. I'd lay the routes out on a BMW 1250 GSA with 9010 street tires on. So, You know, if you got a new Multistrada, you know, or you have a, you know, KTM 690, at least you kind of know what to expect when you can get there. It's not, it's our goal for everybody to have a good time and enjoy themselves, not for us to challenge or test one of our riders' abilities. You know, there's plenty of other opportunities and different events, you know, for that if they want to go get measured.
1: Yeah, it's like the polar opposite of like, you know, hard enduro slog, like everything's laid out, you've got good food, good lodging, and almost in a way, I would assume it targets more of like an older demographic like you and I, you know, who've kind of been there, done a lot of that stuff in the past, you know, but we want to just enjoy ourselves and just be around friends that are like minded.
3: You know, our customer is basically 95% male. They're in their early fifties. They own 2.5 motorcycles and they ride over 11,000 miles a year. So that kind of gives you an overview and that makes it a very attractive demographic.
1: Is this like a lot of things in our industry kind of come about because it's filling like a void. And I feel like in this case, you know, this is a particular experience that you feel like wasn't out there. And so is that in some ways how this idea
3: came about? Yeah, I've been doing just putting together rides for my friends for years. And I would, you know, borrow bikes and lay out routes and base them out of state parks and take go through a lot of these small communities. Yeah, I just took that experience and upsized it. But at the same time, we try to once again, we don't want anybody to feel like they're attending a large commercial rally. There's plenty of those type of events out there already. You know, we want them to feel like they went riding with the, you know, old or new, you know, friends. Everything's geared around, you know, social hours and welcome receptions and like you say, nice sit-down meals and dinners at these state parks. And then you can go out and the street routes, you typically are gonna have three to five routes to pick from. And some people have, you know, the need for a lot of miles, other people not so much because we had an event last September and probably the neatest thing for me as a promoter and a motorcycle enthusiast and industry person was there wasn't a single trailer in the parking lot everybody rode their motorcycle. We had riders from 13 different states and doing an informal interview. They averaged about 220 miles getting there on Friday afternoon and then going back on Sunday. So they had a great time and it wound up having a wonderful weekend for them from the time they left their house until they got back.
1: That's so cool. I mean, it sounds to me like it's, it's really kind of catered towards those looking for that more personalized kind of exclusive experience. Because like you mentioned, some of these rallies that are you're getting thousands of people showing up at these events. Your events, you know, it's a small group of people, and you have even some vendors now. Like you're getting vendors involved to where those vendors and brands have that one-on-one FaceTime in a more personal setting to be able to sit down and talk with those riders.
3: Exactly. With our vendors, for everybody that comes, to be honest, we probably say no to three to five because our goal is for them to do something that's going to enrich the guest experience. One of our biggest partners of the series that we. To be honest, wouldn't be holding these events without their help and support in these local communities. Is backroads of Appalachia. It's a five hundred one c nonprofit organization that was founded by Eric Hubbard. Their sole purpose and goal is to create motorcycle tourism in these rural Appalachian communities and other types of motorsports events. With the goal and you know desire that the economic impact will help those communities replace some of the money that's been lost through the shrinking of the coal industry. And what's really amazing, in 2023, in the central Appalachian Mountain Range area of West Virginia and Virginia and Kentucky, they generated over $41 million in economic impact. But what they really have that's cool, for a rider standpoint, is... On Friday afternoon to welcome reception, they're there. They have an app available for free, and they have over 4,000 miles of motorcycle routes, ADV and street routes in Appalachia laid out in loops. And they'll download those free to any of our guests. And that way they can come back at another time. They don't have to be attending an event, they can bring their friends and really enjoy the area help support the small local business community in the area. And uh, I'd like to see them get all, you know, as much credit as possible because they're really working their butts off to help improve things in that part of the country for his motorcycle tourism. They're at org, I would encourage you to go on their site and download their app and start to look through some of the routes and stuff. You know, once again, not only are you going to get a route, but they're going to tell you, you know, where you can camp, where's good mom and pop type hotels, where there's a great place to eat. They're one of those supporters that really help our guests experience. Definitely.
1: You have stated that for many brands, you know, they spend their marketing budget on off-road sponsorship opportunities. For me, I, I look at that and I go, I think a lot of customers are craving these kind of experiential events these days. They want to be out there experiencing it. But then on the flip side, the sponsor has that same opportunity to get out there and be like we've talked about a little bit earlier, be face to face with their customers and be able to have that quality face time.
3: Even for companies that's not in the industry, uh, we're working with the um, Kentucky Bourbon Distillers Association, as well as companies like Alpenstar that are obviously motorcycle industry based. They can connect with their customer in a non-overt, but still valuable manner Most of our industry support, we focus them on giveaways for door prizes. We have a banquet on Saturday evening. And I think at the event back in September, I counted up roughly almost six thousand dollars at retail value of goods and services and product that we handed out that evening. And it just helps increase once again their guest experience and increases their value for being there for the money they spend for the registration. I love it, you know, i'm I'll be
1: waiting for the uh, some of the music coordinated rides where you can maybe go to like Memphis or like uh, some of these other places like that. I feel like there's, Disguise. Like I said, my mind's just turning. I'm like, there'd be there could be some pretty fun combo rides like that.
3: Well, it's funny you say that. At the Breaks Interstate Park, one of the street routes is the mountain music route. And Ralph Stanley, who is the, you know, Michael Jackson of Bluegrass. His museum is part of the route that you stop off one of the destinations. And then also the Carter family that were widely credited as being one of the first major music acts for country music and mountain music to merge. And then in Bristol, Tennessee is the first radio station that started broadcasting the Carter family with one of the first country music radio shows live in the United States. The Opry in Nashville gets all the credit, but it started uh, over in the hills of Kentucky and Western Virginia.
1: Very cool. You know, for a guy like me, I'm 54, like this is very appealing to me, you know, to be able to go to a place and just have good food and good lodging and be able to learn some history along the way. And, I mean, I just geek out on that stuff. So, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm your ideal customer.
3: <laughs> well, you know, and it, it, we have a lot of couples that come. And that's one of the reasons we do multiple rides. Like on Briggs Interstate Park, once again, we're working with a micro distillery over there. That's going to be on one of the routes. You know, the country music one's about 200 miles. The private distillery tour is going to be about 90 miles. Because a lot of times somebody's riding three, 400 miles on Friday to get there. That allows them to do a shorter day ride, but still see something really unique, get into the historical heritage of the Hatfield-McCoy feuds that were part of that area in Pikeville. And then tour dueling uh, barrels, distillery and microbrewery, you know, learn about something that's interesting, kind of like the elk tour, you know, something you can check off your bucket list and you happen to be able to enjoy doing it on your motorcycle. Definitely.
1: It's exciting stuff and I I think I can imagine that these things are filling up pretty quickly I assume.
3: You know, the biggest hurdle that we preach to people is once again, we don't pick large commercial conference centers. So most of our stuff are set up around 150 to 175. The biggest thing is they have to call and all the informations on our website just rides for com. Each event's there. They can link to it. You call the front desk. You give them an event code that unlocks the lodging. You can pick from lodging rooms or RV or camping or cabins or cottages, but the lodging sells out really quick. If you wait and decide you're going to go the, you know, the week before or even the month before, most likely it'll be sold out. Yeah. So book early on those, it sounds like. Absolutely. Book early, get your reservation. There is other communities, but you're know you're 20, 30 minutes away at, you know, on back roads at dark. So, you know, it's much safer and better experience if you book your lodging early and get it organized so that you can enjoy the full event and experience.
1: Before you finish today's episode, first, we have a word from our sponsor. Greetings from Evergreen
0: Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
1: I'm curious to know because I'm pretty sure you're you were basically retired before you started this last year. You had a long career, as you kind of alluded to earlier, representing riders. You know, you started with your your good friend Scott Summers, you know, multi-time GNCC champion you ended up representing people like Andrew Short and I think Sebastian Tortelli, the list goes on and on. You know, what made you decide to all of a sudden just start this after you, I mean, you could be just enjoying your time and, you know, doing your own thing, but you decided to start this new business.
3: Well, I had, you know, was in the motorcycle industry, like you say, for 20 plus years with OMS Sports as we were the very first full-time licensed sports agency.
1: Kind of ahead of your time, really. Yeah, we
3: We did people like you know everybody from Grant Langston to Chad Reed to Scott Summers to Ben Bostrom and Dirt Track Chris Carr or uh, Ben Bostrom and Road Racing Chris Carr and Dirt Track. We did American Honda Motor Company. Some people that are old enough will remember the Woody Woodpecker program, oh, yeah. which yeah. was a you know. Sponsorship and licensing program between Universal Studios and American Honda that we put together. And a lot of interesting things. We worked with the Coombs family and MX Sports and Grand National Cross Country, bought the first TV rights to the GNCC series and put that on television. Worked with uh, the Time Live Nation and Clear Channel Entertainment. But as you can imagine, I was about 250 nights plus a year on the road and hotels. So it was time to come home and help the parents. And with that, I kind of got out of the motorcycle industry and retired from it. Uh, About two years ago, our local BMW MOA charter club was going to potentially close down and nobody wanted to volunteer to take over the club. So it was going to be closed and the money given to local charity and Because of my time in the industry, I always believed that grassroots local riding clubs were the foundation of the motorcycle industry. You know, for somebody to become Aaron Plessinger or Ben Bostrom or whoever, they first have to have a place to go riding with their friends locally. And that's what grassroots clubs do. It's a lot more fun to go riding with friends and visit neat, interesting places with them than it is to just go out, ride around by yourself. I thought that grassroots clubs were important enough that I volunteered and said, don't close the club. I'll take it over and try my best, you know. Through that, started, you know, promoting the club, growing the club. So I started reaching out to past business associates still involved in the industry. It got me back to where I once was, which was just a passionate motorcyclist that really enjoyed being part of the industry. So... Uh, it took a while, but you know, I decided I wanted to get back in the industry, but I didn't want—I wanted to reinvent myself and come in at a different direction with different goals and a different mission. I wound up with rides to fun because I just saw a huge void in the industry for the commercialization of these events for sponsors and companies that wanted to reach this segment of the market. I feel like you
1: start to have a little bit of a perspective change as you get older. And
3: at a certain point, you kind of start
1: to crave more of that you know, community, doing things for the community, being around people. And it just sounds like that's what you're doing. Like you kind of been reinvigorated a little bit about the industry and, and it seems like you're having fun with it.
3: Absolutely. And once again, the back roads of Appalachia, you know, their mission of, you know, promote motorcycle tourism. It's just been very contagious for me. It's been something I've enjoyed. So it's really nice for me when I talked to one of our guests at one of our events that said, yeah, I came back last summer and brought some friends. So they're, you know, they're being introduced by our events to the region and they're coming back. And the BMW MOA, far as I know, they're the third largest motorcycle affinity group in America. You know. BMW motorcycle riders in general, they ride their bikes over 11,000 miles a year, which the average motorcycle, I think, is closer to 3,000 miles. And they spend, I think, around 21 or 22 nights away from home. They like to get out and travel and enjoy that. So, you know, when you have one of these events as a promoter, I wind up getting to hang out with new friends and old friends that all have the same passion.
1: You know, that said, all of that, I mean, what would you say is the biggest thing that you hope to achieve with Rides for Fun?
3: I hope to introduce people to the concept of one thing, all brands are welcome. You know, if you got two wheels and a good attitude, we're glad to see you there. Motorcyclists in general, I think, are some of the happiest people I know. And to introduce them to these locations and areas and see them come back with their friends, see them come back to more of our events. You know, we're already working on a schedule for 2025, but... I'd like to see the series grow. I'd like to see our guest experience continue to expand into other neat things, you know, other parts of the country. It may not be an elk tour, you know, or a distillery tour, but it could be something else that that part of the country is, you know, famous for or part of its, you know, historical heritage. So
1: you've got two events, Breaks Interstate Park in Virginia, April 26th to the 28th, and the Pine Mountain State Park Resort event in Kentucky, September 6th through the 8th. And uh, as you mentioned, too, you've, you've already starting to get some great supporters. You've got Rever, BMW MOA, Backroads of Appalachia, and Alpine Stars. Uh, that said, how can people find more uh, more information about Rides for Fun?
3: The easiest way is go to our website, just for forward, and then fun, F-U-N.com. That'll give you you know as much information as you can get on the you know, uh, each individual event through the links there. You can also contact me by email, just pro, P-R-O, rep, R-E-P, and then O-M-S is in OscararySally at AOL.com. I'll be happy to try and answer any of your questions.
1: Well, again, uh, thanks so much for your time, Fred. It's awesome to see you you back in the industry and enjoying yourself again and and showing people the, the joys of motorcycling. So congrats on your new business and uh, really appreciate you coming on today.
3: I appreciate you having me. And if somebody wants to register for one of the events, they can also go to the BMW MOA website, which is just bmwmoa.org and go to the events and you'll see a link there. They can sign up and register online. It has all the same information that our website has as well. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Dale.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmotorsports.com where you can listen to past episodes and find the latest news on the Pit Pass Motorsports blog powered by Podium Life. There you'll find articles and other industry news focused exclusively on two- and four-wheel motorsports. Head to pitpassmotorsports.com to listen to the latest episode of Pit Pass Moto this has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to the production team at Wesler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join me next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening.